Welcome to Stock Stories, episode 49. Yes, yes, yes. What's up? Welcome to the Stock Stories Podcast. My name is Alex and I am your host, your stock storyteller for today. Thanks for joining me today. And if you're new to the show, this is the podcast for individual investors where we get into analyzing and studying individual companies. And the reason that we do that is to help you and I become better individual investors because if we understand the actual company, then we can understand what makes the stock price go up and down, what makes the dividend policy more or less favorable to shareholders, what makes the share buyback policy more favorable or less favorable to shareholders. These are the drivers of the total return of your investment. So it's important that we understand them, right? But it all starts with the basics. What does this company do? How does it make money? Where has it been? How is it going to continue making money in the future? These are all things and questions that we need to ask ourselves. So that's what this podcast is about. And if you didn't know, we are going through the S&P 500. We're going to go through all 500 plus stocks in the index. And we're closing in on a couple dozen here. We've done a couple dozen already. And, uh, with episode 49 here, we're just, we're going through them. But there's the other side of this podcast, and that is mental models. And that is an episode for today. This is where we look at the philosophy behind decision making. It's not enough to look at case studies and examples. That's very good and very helpful. But also from kind of a higher level, academic level, what's going on? What's the framework? So we've got another mental model for you today. And it is called the Pareto Principle. All right, so what is the Pareto Principle? I really love this idea because it's like many mental models, it's very simple but very effective, and you can apply it to a lot of things. So here's what it is in a nutshell. The Pareto Principle states that in many cases, 80% of the results come from 20% of the causes. And this is also called the law of the few, and it has a few other nicknames as well. But I like to think of it as the 80-20 rule or the Pareto Principle. That's just how I remember it. And I believe I may have mentioned the Pareto Principle in one or two of the other mental model episodes uh, because it's related to some of the other things that we've discussed previously. But today, we're dedicating it exclusively to the Pareto Principle. So 20% of the causes create 80% of the effects or the results. And this comes from, uh, it was named after an economist named Vilfredo Pareto who was Italian, and he noticed that 80% of the land in Italy 
was owned by 20% of the population. Now think about that. Um, what does that indicate in the society? To me, it indicates that a small minority basically has control over the economy or at least the real estate economy, right? So it's not one for one. There are some members of society who are statistically overrepresented as being owners of real estate and some members of society that are statistically underrepresented as owners of real estate. So this is interesting and this got him thinking and he published some academic work on the subject and then this trickled down to other economists. Many other people have studied it, uh, particularly in the business management field because it's such a powerful principle and kind of explaining uh at least in part, why many things are the way they are as far as distributions of causes and effects. And of course, there's a lot of interconnectedness between different causes and effects and correlation versus causation and all sorts of other wonderful mental models that we will get to in time. But today we're focusing on this 80-20 concept. So Pareto uh, was really the first one credited with thinking of and studying this principle. But let's look at some examples of where this actually occurs in real life. So that was one example with the land in Italy. Another example is some recent tax data from 2018. So in the United States, um, apparently 80 to 90% of the taxes, federal income taxes I'm talking specifically, in the United States were paid by the top 20% of income earners. So we see this at work again, like the top 20% of earners are paying the most taxes as far as dollar amounts. Now we're not talking about percentage of their net worth or income or anything like that. That's a different question. But when we pose the question of who's paying the most taxes in aggregate, the rich are. And it kind of makes sense because we have a progressive tax system in the United States and even with the massive tax cuts that have just happened in America, as I record this in early 2019, uh, the rich are still paying most of the actual taxes. And people say, oh, you know, the rich get a lot of tax breaks. And that's absolutely true. The rich do get a lot of tax breaks, but uh, they also pay a lot of money in taxes. It is not all avoidable. So there's there's something to be said there. So that's one example from kind of the economic side of things. Let's look at computer science. So back in the year 2002, Microsoft was looking into some of their error rates with their software and trying to fix some of the bugs in their various software suites. And one of the things that they discovered was that 80% of the software errors in their programs came from 20% of the bugs in their code. And so that 2080 relationship shows up yet again. And even more remarkable is that when Microsoft dug a little bit deeper, they found that 50% of the software errors came from just 1% of the bugs in their code. Think about that. 1% of their code was wrong and it caused 50% of the problems that occurred. So this shows how small things or a small subset of things can have uh, a bigger impact than you might expect in the end result. Think about safety. Think about occupational health and safety. I know this because um, 
at some points I've worked in different jobs where I've been in or around like a factory or construction type environment and safety is a really big deal. And in order to prevent accidents, usually um, there's some sort of direction from management uh, that certain practices and habits need to be followed in order for everybody to be safe. Um, This might be wearing steel-toed boots whenever you're walking through the factory. Or um, I know actually today I was walking through an industrial area uh, at work and I had to wear some safety goggles. And that's just what you do. You do this because some of the common things that go wrong, uh, they can can have a disproportionate impact on your health and on just the number of incidents that happen. Uh, So that's, that's one aspect of society that's impacted. Another huge part of society that's impacted is in healthcare. So from the health perspective, the Agency for Healthcare Research and Quality stated in 2009 that 20%, just 20% of the population incurs 80% of all healthcare expenses. And wow, I I was kind of surprised to to read about that one, frankly, because I kind of thought, well, you know, in general, everyone gets sick once in a while and people have surgeries, particularly as they get older and you have other subsets of demographics that deal with different issues. But that 20 to 80 percent, like I was like, wow, that's that's pretty interesting. I wonder why. And I started to realize it's because of people with chronic conditions. So as far as healthcare is related, people with chronic conditions um, have to live with those conditions on a day to day basis. And it can be very difficult. And they utilize healthcare services a lot more than people who don't have to suffer with those conditions do. And so a disproportionate amount of dollars tends to flow to organizations and doctors and facilities that can provide services that help in that way. And one of the things that I thought of when I read that statistic is that uh, I think about a company like DaVita. Now, if you're not familiar with DaVita, they're a member of the S&P 500 and we'll have an episode on them in the future. Um, But they focus exclusively on helping people with chronic kidney conditions. So very specific mission, very specific focus with their entire organization. Now, they used to have a medical group separate from that, but they sold it in 2018. So as I record this in 2019, they're a company exclusively focused on helping people with chronic kidney conditions. And I was like, wow, that's a huge indicator that this principle is at work here. If an S&P 500 firm can focus exclusively on chronic, one specific chronic health condition, what does that tell you about healthcare spending in the United States? The dollars are flowing uh, from people with these chronic illnesses and, um, you know, just kind of that repetitive uh, cycle of treatment. So that's the healthcare example. Now let's bring this home to investing because that's why we're here. We want to learn about how to invest better. So portfolio composition. This is an important topic because it's not just about trying to pick the right companies at the right time. It's how do you put together a collection? How do you put together uh, a whole portfolio? Because 
if we just bought one stock and said, this is the stock, then you know, we could run into a lot of problems, right? There's a lot of risk of wipeout risk. Um, but if we have some level of diversification, if we get a collection of companies that represent a cross section of the economy and the world and have certain characteristics that we like or that we see the data points to could be uh, good for our wealth building, then yeah, we're going to, we're going to add different companies to that portfolio. So basically how does the Pareto principle apply to this? Well, the way that I think about it, if this holds, then 20% of the stocks in your and mine portfolio should account for 80% of the gains. And that's kind of crazy, right? But in theory, this should be true. There should be a few stocks that probably way outperform all the others, and then a bunch that are kind of mediocre, and then maybe one or two bad ones, right? That just either go nowhere or lose money for us. So what I did was I wanted to look at some real numbers behind this. So I did a little bit of back testing for you guys, and I looked at the Dow Jones index back in 2008, and I thought, okay, I'm just going to pick randomly 10 companies from the Dow Jones and then see how they performed a little bit over 10 years later. And so in this hypothetical portfolio, you have a $10,000 portfolio and we're putting $1,000 each into these companies. So the companies that I randomly picked were Pfizer, Caterpillar, Johnson & Johnson, American Express, Merck, JP Morgan, Procter & Gamble, Boeing, McDonald's, and ExxonMobil. So I'm putting $1,000 into each of these in this hypothetical scenario. So that's in January 2008. So if you were to test this, the returns as of December 2018, um, let's just go through them one by one because it's kind of fun to see. So Pfizer, you would have turned 1000 dollars into $3,011. Caterpillar, $2,400. Johnson & Johnson, $2,702. American Express, $2,206. Merck, $1,997. JP Morgan, $2,907. Procter & Gamble, $1,764. Boeing, $4,897, McDonald's $4,222, and ExxonMobil $1,002. <laughs> so ExxonMobil, unfortunately, with the slide in oil prices recently, as I'm recording this, you would have made a grand total of $2 over an 11-year period. <laughs> and that's including reinvested dividends. But that's one of the, the characteristics of the oil majors, which is a topic for another day. Uh, massive volatility. But yeah, so I went ahead and looked at the total gains for this collection of stocks and the total gains, you would have brought your portfolio from $10,000 in value to 27,000, a, a little bit over $27,000 in value. So a gain of a little bit over 17 grand for your patience of letting this capital compound for you. So if I look at the top two performers, which would represent 20% of the portfolio, right? You put $2,000 into the the 20% of the portfolio. So the gains, of the gains that we got, um, the top two performers were Boeing and McDonald's. So Boeing returned 
about 15% annually. McDonald's returned 14% annually. And together, they contributed over 40% of all of the gains. So this isn't quite 80%. It doesn't quite meet the 2080 rule, but it, it, it should resemble it with a higher sample size. And also, I want to point out that I did randomly select these from mega cap companies that tend to cluster together as a group as far as returns go. Um, hence, you know, they're part of a major index. So there are some other factors here, but even so, we can see that there were some, just a couple companies that were really carrying the weight of this randomly selected portfolio. So when I ran these numbers earlier today, I was thinking like, well, what if I just pick some completely random stocks? Like I picked the Dow, stocks from the Dow. Well, what if I pick completely random stocks? And so I did just that and I repeated the experiment and a lot of these companies I haven't even heard of, but uh, maybe you have, but I just kind of, I used a random stock generator online to find these. And these are the companies in this new random portfolio. So, okay, here we go. So Motor Car Parts of America, LB Foster, Atrion, Americo, which is the company that has the U-Haul trucks, Seneca Foods, MTS Systems Corp, um, Nation or North Shore Bankside Shares, Willamette Valley Vineyards, SB1 Bancorp, and QAD Inc. So I don't know what a lot of these companies do. I haven't studied them, but nonetheless, let's just say we put together a portfolio of all these stocks with $10,000 and spread it out evenly amongst them all. Okay, so what do you have at the end of December 2018? Um, I'll skip through the individual gains and just cut to the chase. So in aggregate, your portfolio would have gone from $10,000 to $22,733 for a gain of $12,733. Of this, the top two companies produced 84.5% of the gains of the entire portfolio. So you might as well have just invested in those two, right? <laughs> but um, it's hard to know what those two are going to be. And uh, just so if you're curious, the top two performers were Atrion, which grew at almost 20% annually, and Americo, which is a U-Haul effectively. And they compounded it over 16% annually. And uh, so with this more randomly chosen group of stocks, we can see the Pareto principle more at work. I didn't filter by capitalization level. The only filter that I used in collecting this data was that the company had to have data from uh, going back to January 2008. That was my criteria. And, you know, a single stock, not an ETF or a mutual fund share or something like that. So this goes to show that the Pareto principle is at work indeed in investing and in many areas of life. So it's good to think about this and just notice that certain actions that you take in your life as well have outsized benefits. For example, I don't know about you, but I know for me, if I get seven hours of sleep, I'm doing great the next day. If I get six I'm doing eh, not quite so good. If I go from six to five, oh man, that's a major difference in my energy level. So I bet you that that small 
decrease percentage-wise in my hourly sleep is going to have an outsized impact on my ability to perform at my job the next day or to drive or to carry on a coherent conversation with someone because of that one hour that I lose. So this can be applied to so many different things, but when it comes to your investing, know that there are going to be probably just a handful of investments throughout your entire investing lifetime that are going to carry most of the weight. And this is something that Warren Buffett and Charlie Munger have talked about in the past at Berkshire Hathaway. There are really just a handful of investments that they've made throughout their career that have been extremely good for them. And they've lived long enough and they've had enough experience to have experienced uh, several of those really good investments. Like Coca-Cola was a really great investment. Wells Fargo was a really great investment. They were buying it up during the Great Recession. Um, Apple has been pretty good, except uh, <laughs> recently the stock price has dropped a lot. So uh, not so great. But in the end, I think Apple will work out pretty well for Berkshire Hathaway shareholders. Um, oh, what's the other thing I was thinking of? Uh, Seize Candies, which is uh, was a privately owned company before Berkshire bought it, I believe. And, and they've reaped benefits there as well. So uh, not every stock in your portfolio is going to do great, all right? That's, that's reality. That's, that's kind of like the law of averages, uh, which is a related mental model to this one, uh, kind of dictates. 80% of the results are going to come from 20% of the causes. And uh, some stocks are just going to outperform others. And also some stocks are going to underperform others. Uh, and, that's, and that's okay. We can still... Uh, meet our goals. So that's what I wanted to share with you today. Uh, hopefully you've enjoyed this episode. And just remember that mental models are so powerful. Take uh, another couple minutes, if you will, to just re-listen to this episode. Let the, let the ideas sink in. Let the examples sink in. And start to notice in your own life how certain things create outsized results more than you would expect um, just based on the effort expended or based on the certain variable that you're looking at. So with that, thank you for listening to Stock Stories. It's episode 49. I am Alex, your host. And if you want to reach out to me, as always, Instagram is great. Stock Stories, the number one. Or email me at alex at stockstoriespodcast.com. information presented here on Stock Stories is for informational, educational, and entertainment purposes only. You and you alone are responsible for your investment and financial decisions. Please consult an appropriate tax, legal, or financial advisor that can analyze your specific situation in the context of your goals and circumstances.